Yeah, but we're talking about the secret archive, which is just the honeypot for everybody to walk into and sweeten on. Not the secret, super secret Vatican archives, which have the original <laughs> the Bible. real Vatican secret And the original shit, Bible like the... actually has the recipe for Cool Ranch Doritos. Not the, not the, not the double secret archives. Double secret mega plus archives has, tournament edition. It's also it's also the same place that Coca Cola hides. Yes, I was gonna say it has the has the Coke formula, <laughs> no. the Cool Ranch Doritos, the secret to five hour energy. You could be a millionaire mm. overnight if um, secret to five hour energy. It, but I heard they were I heard they tried to get the secret to vitamin water, but it turns out it was just Kool Aid. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kool Aid with salt added in. It's a little, little salt. A little salt. <laughs> All right, Steve. Um, what are we talking about, Steve? So today we're talking about sort of secret collections, sort of a, the, the history of sort of museums and libraries having these, like, secret collections of, of items and me, books and things like that that were not available to the general public and you sort of had to ask permission to see them. And just as a like a quick, quick overview, what kind of stuff are we talking about? Um, a lot of this stuff is generally erotica. Um, hey. it, it's it's just things, and and a lot of this sort of happens in the nineteenth century. Though there is some earlier ones um, where where people see sort of these images, um, and also works of fiction and things like that that sort of like throw a wrench into what their common perceptions of of morality and classical morality were. And that they were afraid, you know, that if people saw these things, it would drive them to do things um, that were depicted within. See, now, I might have screwed up. Um, because, as you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, doing the episode on uh, museum secret uh, exhibits and stuff like that. I watched Night at the Museum in preparation to do this episode and The Da Vinci Code. And this is not what I... <laughs> That was my research. I watched Night at the Museum and Da Vinci Code. Well, that that's kind of a thing, too, because when people think about, like, the secret collection of the library, I think most people, like, sort of jump to sort of that salacious sort of ancient aliens, like... Occult- that's right what I went to! I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can watch a great fucking movie at the same time that I'm doing, uh, quote-unquote, research. A cold history wins. of the world, you know, <laughs> Rami Malek depicting, you know... King Tut and coming to life and going yeah, on Tom insane Hanks adventures. Talking about Jesus. Tom yeah, Hanks. What are you guys talking about? Talking about? I just zoned out for a minute there. We're, we're I'm talking about, about the research that I did. <laughs> Wait, Night at the Museum and Da Vinci Code, two <laughs> oh stellar blockbuster movies I watched. Wait, those are actually good picks, man. Those are good picks. We'll actually mention Da Vinci Code at one point when we talk about the Vatican's um, secret archives. Dude, yes. I tell you what, I don't know what's in there, but when we find out. It's going to blow huge holes. I went the to the Vatican in 2017? Hold on a second. 2016. Hold on a second. Why? Uh, uh, part of my honeymoon. <laughs> oh, okay. Part of my honeymoon. I was in Italy, so we went and we, we went to the Vatican. Oh, okay. And I knew there was more than they were showing us. I knew those motherfucking popes and all the damn priests. Yeah. I knew they were hiding shit. I knew there was more there than that they were. Oh, this is everything. No, it's not. Yeah, because no. every time you would walk away, like you would, you'd be walking with a tour group, you know, because you're with Perillo Tours and you're walking with a tour group, 
and you go down a side aisle, and then just a Swiss guard steps out of the shadows. And yeah, there's armed guards outfit. everywhere. I'm like, dude, you don't need a fucking armed and guard then, for a museum. And then no, I'm talking, what about, you got? Uh, I'm talking about a Swiss guard, bro. <laughs> no, then, they're armed. The Swiss guard is still armed. Yeah, that's true. They wear those they're, like this, Renaissance era costumes, but yeah, they wear they look like fucking clowns. But uh, yeah, mess still with got the a K98. Yeah, yeah. They, they got a G36, you know, and they're pantaloons, <laughs> and they just bust it's, out. It's like the guys in uh, in London that guard the Queen. What do you call the guys? Oh, the, the um, feeders. Yeah, the bobbies. Yeah. not the bobbies. The bobbies are the police, but yes, the bee feeders. Yeah, yeah, they look like clowns, but uh, mess with them if you want to. I love those YouTube videos of people messing with them. Oh, yeah, yeah and they just... <laughs> <fucked up. laughs> they Stand just away from the gate! Stand away! They just, like, scream. The best ones are the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Those were, like... Oh, yeah, you... the Marines just will... They'll, they'll straight up just fucking scream at you and be Bro, like, Get away! They, they'll draw down on you. <laughs> it's on YouTube. They'll, they'll like, literally pull their gun off their shoulder and aim it at you. It's terrible, but no, it's, that's that's how that works. I was I was gonna say, you know, when you when you're about to sort of gain access to the secret archives, that's when like Rick Steves like appears behind you, and he says like nothing personal, kid, and then he just like knocks you out. I was really expecting you to say Rick Flair was gonna show up behind you and be like whoa, <laughs> and then knocks you out. <laughs> God damn. I would be thinking about Ric Flair the entire episode. You now. can't be play. coming back here. <laughs> you gotta, I can't do a good Ric Flair because you got to lisp. And you got to lisp and you got to have a lot of saliva in your voice. Yeah. And your voice has got to sound like you smoked cigarettes for 50 years. Yeah, he probably did. He probably burned a lot of eaters. More weed, though, I think. All right. So, Steve. Um, educate us. So, so I didn't even know about this. I, I was just fine. You know, I've been like not deliberately not asking you what we're going to talk about. So how many museums are there with secret rooms? Like, can we get a head count? There's there's several of them, and in this episode, we're going to talk about um, mainly uh, four of them, which which are sort of two of them are sort of similar in one regard. Um, one of them is is sort of a modern one that's restricted for a specific cultural reason and then another one is restricted because it's in a um in an area that is not open to the public so okay so we're gonna be talking about four today okay and then and then i also have some libraries to talk about no kidding (laughs) i figures we talk about some books and boring shit (laughs) so the the first one is the the secret museum in naples which is the Cabinetto uh, Secreto. Cabinetto Secreto, huh? I, I get will take absolutely tutti, but I... no part of this. I, absolutely, I will not which take is, part of this right now. Which I'm is Italian, the, uh, it's fine. Which is the secret cabinet, <laughs> or the secret museum of Naples, which is mostly materials from Pompeii and Herculeum. Um, Why? So, so as Pompeii is sort of being, um, being sort of unearthed and discovered, um, around 1821... Um, they, first, they first started locking away and cataloging items that were deemed um, obscene. And and just for quick overview, obscene items, because like I mentioned, I went to, went to Pompeii on my honeymoon. They actually have art and reliefs carved into the stone of people having sex, like just to, to yeah, delineate where play. the prostitutes are, uh, where the whorehouses are. Like it was... And it wasn't like, oh, it was straight cock and balls. Like, they carved out pubic hairs. It was it was nothing short of impressive. 
a, a lot of them too is essentially like um, they the Romans would put the uh, a relief of a phallus or, or sort of a depiction of a phallus in different places as a ward against the evil eye. Um, and, also, and they would also draw a phallus on the road to direct you to the whorehouse. True story. There'd be dicks on the road to direct you to the whorehouse. And, and there are also a lot of depictions <laughs> of the Roman god uh, Priapus, mm-hmm. um, who, who, if you were not aware, is usually depicted having a giant erection. Yeah, he's the boner Wait. god. That's why a, uh, a Viagra-laced uh, eight-hour boner is known as a Priapism. Nice! Nice, my man got it. All right. <laughs> I was gonna say if you don't get it, it's prior prison. But hell yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the worst thing on those commercials, right? If your erection lasts longer than six months, you <laughs> may want to see a doc. You may want to call <laughs> it Dom was part of paramedic school where they were like, if you have significant trauma, especially to the spinal cord, you know, you may roll up on a patient that has just this big throbbing fucking priapism, and I'm yep. like, oh, that's nice. Oh my god. It's that. It's a lot of depictions, you know, of um, in the brothels and in the baths, they would depict people having, um, doing like sex acts um, and different different kinds of like sex acts too. Like, for instance, um, they're just like a, a threesome or um, doing kind of lingus or, or just different types of, um, of, of sexual um, maneuvers or um, sort of things you could do. What about like the uh, like a menu? Yes, and it was <laughs> yeah. it was sort of like Different a menu on as the well. Sexual menu, like a visual menu, and you would say like, "Oh, I want that one." You wanted the butthole? We give you the butthole, <laughs> dude. You know, I, hey, well, Luigi, you know about, give this one of the butthole. You know about? I'll the, take another uh, two. Hold the hold the tickling of the butthole. Uh, <laughs> can I get extra licking on the on the testicles? Number and, two, uh, sir. Do you want to supersize that? I absolutely. Um, and I also want <laughs> and a side of what would you like to drink? <laughs> <laughs> dude, what about Steve? What about the graffiti? You know, yes, also, also that too, which I'll which I'll get to. Um, I'll let you get there. So in in 1849, um, they had sort of made this room and they actually sealed it off. Like they they had bricked off the room after a point. And where is this? That they, this is in this Naples. This is this is sort of this museum um, where they they took all of the items from Pompeii that they were excava- um, excavating that they did not have in Pompeii. And does, ab- this, does this museum not exist? Oh, it still it still exists. Okay. What 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 museum is this? It's the Naples National Archaeological Museum. Naples National Archaeological Museum. All right. Um, at, at Pompeii, after this period, um, they start constructing these cabinets around um, sort of the erotic frescoes, and <laughs> and that these cabinets could be locked. <laughs> and for that erotic. <laughs> and, a, and for an additional fee, you could pay the tour guide to unlock. The cabinet and see the fresco, um, and this Fucking could be revealed to men, purchases. Um, but not women. Like a woman could not ask to see the fresco, but a man could. What? Um, this continued until the 1960s, and and around that point, before it was sort of done away with. Um, oh wait, 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 wait! I thought you meant they had cabinets around them in Pompeii. You're talking about modern times. Yeah, in Pompeii, about modern like, like Bob Velik cabinets. Like, like a sort of like metal cabinet that you can that you can lock and open. Ah. Okay. And behind behind the doors are like 
Some... So basically they're saying, like, hey, trust us, behind this door is, like, the Mona Lisa. And you're like, oh, man, yeah, 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 totally, for sure. Yeah, it's like but a, a peep man show. could be like, open that shit up. I didn't say Mona Lisa. I said Moaning Lisa. <laughs> this is... This is like a 19th century version of those places where you go and you put the coins in the slot and they open up the, they open up the window or whatever and you can see the the stripper. It's like is that, that. Is that one way glass? Can, like, can the stripper see you if you're in there jerking off? Yeah, they can see you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the human condition is such that it can put up with just about fucking anything, bro. <laughs> and. I, I just I never knew because like I know that they had those private booths that existed, but I didn't know right. if the girl dancing could see you. Ah, so like, so much uh, weird. In, <laughs> in in a recent episode of Moshe Kasher's podcast, he told an anecdote about going to one of those places in San Francisco, and the dancer was a girl from his AA. And when they when the when the door like when the the thing came up over the window, um, she's like sitting spread eagle in front of him. And it was somebody he knew, so he just counted down the seconds until his time ran out, like, not not really reacting. <laughs> how do you go into, like, how do you see them and, like, look them in the face and not be like, so, it's, how are you? Well, it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like going to a strip club normally. Except no, because I've, I've I've known girls who strip, and it's it's not weird to see them. But if you just roll down a screen and some girls just sitting there with her vagina hanging out, like right in my face, and I I don't know that you're a stripper, and all of a sudden, boom, pussy, that's gonna be a weird conversation the next time I see you. Yeah, that's true. It is, but you know, life comes at you fast. <laughs> <laughs> life comes at you fast. So does that guy in that room. Hey. Mm. Um, so so during this period <laughs> where they have um, where the, the they have the secret room where all of the uh, the erotic items are hidden, um, they the engravings and descriptions of content during this period is also like wildly misrepresented. Like it doesn't say exactly what's behind um, the the cabinets and what's in this room because they don't want to like let people know about like how how like crazy it is in terms of like the morality of the day really the the secret room would eventually be um be reopened to the public in 2000 um the last time it had been opened before then was in the 60s but after 2000 um they just allow access to the room and you can see it um which is sort of a common thing as, as sort of decency standards change over the years, um, they 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 sort of open up these these sort of hidden collections to the public. So so basically, they just kind of bird feeding us as we become cool with certain certain erotic and sexual things. They say, "I will right, we'll show you this." Then so they they potentially have some really kinky fucked up shit in there that we haven't seen yet. We have to remember too. This is also during a period in the eighteen hundreds. Where with Victorian culture, like, people joke about, like, you know, like, Amish porn where they show the ankles and, like, that's very titillating. Like, oh, wait, wait, or have they already shown us everything? What do you mean? I thought that they were still showing us little by little stuff that they had hidden away. Oh, no, it's it's sort of the stuff we know about, like, like uh, three okay. ways so seen, and, like, okay, okay. men going down on still women. Like, and, I thought they were still being like, oh, look what we found today. 
and just kind of like as as society evolves and becomes more accepting, they show more things that they've quote unquote unearthed. It's like I'm pretty sure it's it's pretty much an open and closed book, you know, in terms of like the sexuality of the classical world that they okay. don't really hide things like that anymore. It was just more that the Victorians had this idea of what um, ancient Roman culture was, and they sort of had this idea that it was all about like stoicism and things like that, which is also kind of bullshit because with Roman culture and Roman history and Roman writings, we don't exactly know everything that happened during that period because we only have, I think it's around 30% of Roman literature. So, like, when we read things from, like, the Greek philosophers, like Plato and stuff, and, you know, Plato was all about, like, these Greek philosophers are all about, like, man-boy loving. Like, <laughs> that's generally presented as being, like, oh, you know, that's just the standard in, in like, sort of the common uh, mindset. But in reality, they they were just sort of a view within Athens. And even then we don't know entirely if that was sort of the general view because we're just reading what this one guy said. Yeah. And this, this happens a lot too, is that people view a popular um, literary work from someone from that period. And they think like, Oh, this must be how people were. But in reality, we're not entirely aware, especially with ancient cultures, you know, if this person represented the norm or if they were out there, um, you know, that type of thing. I like how it's 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 too far fetched to, to think that somebody back then would have written fiction like this isn't really what happened. We're just writing bullshit just like we're writing today. Like Twilight doesn't really fucking happen. Harry Potter doesn't really happen. But can you imagine if some archaeologist pulled it up and was like, oh, my God, they had magic. And werewolves? Well, (laughs) a lot of things with a lot of written works is that from this period is that it's it's sort of an oral telling. Yeah. And so for that reason, it's generally devoted to being um, historical or or religious or or sort of a quasi-religious historical work in that when we start writing things down in punctuation – um, punctuation originally existed to tell people, you know, how to read a work if they're telling it to somebody. Yeah, it just blows my mind that the idea that somebody could have written uh, satire is too too much for historians to think about. But I don't know. It got me thinking about it recently because um, there Dante are- Alighieri and the Divine Inferno satire. It's it's literally satire written against the church, but we can't view anything else as satire instead of just saying, you know, hey, they might have just been fucking around. Well, there there are some. There there are, like, Greek comedies like Lysistrata, which are um, yeah. sort of comedies, uh, fictional works from that are, period. There's plenty that are, are written more specifically, like, where it's very obvious that that's what they're doing. And, and we There's just that. less uh, daily show yeah, type stuff. Exactly. As, as, far, as new, far as we know... A, that's yeah. a newer invention, okay. A Jonas Stewart. To take us to our next museum, which is probably the most famous, which is the uh, the Secretum, or, or the secret room of the, the British uh, Museum. Hey, which museum? The British Museum. Is that literally what it's called, the British Museum? Yeah. That's cool, okay. Uninventive, but cool. So... As, as Great Britain is sort of expanding and they're, they're sort of sending back the things that they take from their, their conquered territories and from elsewhere, 
Um, they start consolidating them in the British Library. And around 1830, um, they kind of realize, you know, that some of these items should be kept away because they don't really match with sort of the uh, standards of the day. Uh, one such item is a statue of the, uh, the Bodhisattva um, Tara. Um, so it's hidden away for about... Wait, the statue of the what? Say that one more time. The, body, that, that the Bodhisattva. Tara or Tara. Tara. The, but what was the first word? Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva. Body, Bodhisattva. Okay. It's, it's kind of like a, a Buddhist deity in a way. Like it's sort of a, a Buddhist demigod. It's a person okay. who can... It's basically... It's not a Buddha, basically. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, I think so it's, it's a person. It's a, Buddha. So it's a statue of a fucking person? Like, Let me just look it up. I can't remember. It's, it's a person, okay, it's a person if, who can reach nirvana but delays doing so. Basically, they're edging nirvana so, so they can save other people. Yeah, it's nirvana. They're, they're edging yeah. nirvana to stay, to stay on the mortal plane to sort of help people reach nirvana. Yeah. Okay. It's, okay. it's like I can finish, but I'm going to help you finish first. What a bro move. What a bro move. Which, by the way, Steve's last statement, there are several works in the first museum that are I can finish, but I'm going to help you finish first. (laughs) And I want that to be my wingman when I go to the bar. I can finish, but I'm going to make sure you finish too, bro. The statue of of Tara is essentially acquired in 1830, but it's kept away for around 30 years um, because... Uh, she is depicted um, nude from the waist up, um, so she is very um, she very titillating. Yeah, she has she has big <laughs> big sort of um, bulbous breasts. They're nice. And, I'm looking at them right now. I gotta say, we describe them. Don't um, say sandbags. They're golden, <laughs> uh, circular breasts. Every everything you want in a woman, <laughs> dude. They're perfect breasts. They're metallic. They're not human flesh color. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. All right, so anyway. And, and eventually in 1865, the, the Secretum is officially created to hide all the materials that are covered by this law called the Obscene Publications Act of 1857. And Parliament establishes this act because there's sort of a proliferation of pornography and moral crusaders. And what does this act say? What does it say? I uh, so the Obscene Publications Act it prohibits the sale of pornographic and obscene materials, and it allows for the seizure and destruction of materials by the police. But it doesn't exactly qualify exactly what quantifies as pornographic and obscene. That was good. Yeah, so you're that was just saying like. Who- a bunch of jack-booted cockney thugs can just walk in and bust Oi. <laughs> Oi! She's got ankles showing! Oi, look Beat her down! Look at her! She is not wearing any clothes. We told you already last week that we'd be back. Bust her titties <laughs> up. Bust them up. No, but Detective Potato or Famine, no, don't take my family. Hi. <laughs> You got your titties out again. <laughs> you you get at us about you get at us about you the mashed potatoes in that film. That's erotic. You get at us about the Italian the Italian accented 
pronunciation of things. I'm Irish, goddammit! Oh, but we're, it's okay if we say our Irish things, aren't we? We can just say our Irish things. I'm Irish, you fucks. You know, it's a potato said, farming. I'm you can't have potatoes out during the potato farming. I said I'm officer potato to, farming. You need, to shove, you need to shove all these potato arts into the potato sectorum. The sectorum. I would not do an Italian accent, because I am not Italian, and I'm not going to get beat up by, like, the four Italians ah, that live in my right. neighborhood. Ah, then nobody does that anymore. <laughs> so, much like uh, in, like British law, I should specifically say English law, and, and to a degree Welsh law, is very much like uh, American law, um, in that it is a common law system, so a lot of these decisions involving obscenity and, and, and sort of punishment for these things are handled under different decisions, and the, the biggest one is what's called uh, Regina versus Hicklin of 1868. So Regina in this case is Queen Victoria. And it, it this case went all the way up to the Royal Court, which is it not not entirely on the same level as the US Supreme Court, but it's also a high court in that regard and they represent the queen. So okay. so this guy named Henry Scott, he's reselling copies of an anti-Catholic pamphlet entitled The Confessional Unmasked skewing the depravity of the Romish priesthood, the inequity of confessional, and the questions put to females in confession. That was a fucking title? So during the 19th century, there's a lot of these sort of works that are are anti-papal works that sort of talk about sort of the corruption and the degeneracy of the Roman Catholic Church. And they're not wrong. That the... You know that the the nuns and stuff are being taken advantage of um, sexually, and and things like that. So the pamphlet. So basically, nothing's changed. Yeah. So okay. The the pamphlets are deemed obscene and they're destroyed. Um, but Scott takes this um, to the court of quarter sessions, which is sort of a a, a sort of middle level court in Britain at that time. Um, and and Benjamin Hicklin. Um, he's a he's sort of a he's a recorder, which is a part-time circuit judge, in, in sort of an English court of law. Um, he defends them, and he held that they were not meant to corrupt public morals, but to defame the Catholic Church. They should be allowed. And and you should know, as this period, um, well into the the twentieth century, I, I would argue into the into the eighties. You know, um, Great Britain is an incredibly anti-Catholic country. Oh yeah. Yep, as um, the Irishman on the podcast, I can tell you they are. Um, yep. So the order was appealed to the court of the Queen's Bench, which I mentioned before is a, is a higher court in this sort of court system at the time. And on April 29th, 1868, Chief Justice Cockburn reinstated the order of the lower court, holding that Scott's intention was immaterial if the publication was insane, obscene. So. Justice Cockburn reasoned that the Obscene Publication Act allowed banning of a publication if it had a quote-unquote tendency to deprave and corrupt those whose minds are open to such immoral influences and into whose hands a publication of this sort may fall. So I want you to go back and just basically break that down as if we're fifth graders. So essentially what they're saying is, is that you can't publish this thing because even though it has a has a strict purpose you know it i i would say that to a degree it has a sort of academic purpose that sort of to educate readers on sort of the degeneracy of the catholic church what this justice is saying is that despite 
the the sort of end goal of this publication, it should be outlawed regardless because it's obscene. Okay. So the court has essentially said it doesn't matter, you know, if it's educational or if it's not meant to, you know, to be, you know, beat off material. It, Basically, it's, it doesn't matter why it exists. Yeah. It's obscene. I believe that was here. the uh, verbiage they used in the legal brief, by the way. Is, uh, just, even though it's he's not just sitting there to in be, his powdered uh, wig and his beat black off robe, material. And he's, just, he's just going on about beat off material. Even though this document here is not specifically <laughs> beat was, off material. If it was up to me, I would ban my own child from using the Sears catalog, which he gets specially <laughs> delivered from the United States Listen, of America. Established members, I don't even look down when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> and, and though the though the Jesus British Christ. Museum it's simply too obscene that's just up to oh, that like little that, white curly wigs for their pubes instead that, that <laughs> please, please a robe around a the throat it's called a merkin <laughs> A merkin. A, merk- a merkin for their dick and a little roll around the scrot. Oh my god, that'd be I'm gonna perfect. have to write like mature plus plus on this episode. <laughs> because honestly, we're not gonna get past these British judges. Also, don't listen around anybody who is from England. <laughs> um So the British Museum, despite having the sort of collection of erotic and, and sort of scandalous works. They don't accept everything. An example of this is what's referred to as the Warren Cup. Uh, before we talk about the Warren Cup, would this be the same place that the British or the Royal Crown Jewels are stored at the British Museum? Well, the the British Crown Jewels are stored in the Tower of London. Okay, they're not actually stored in a museum somewhere. No, they're in the they're in the Tower of London. Okay, I've never been to England. I I, I honestly didn't know where they were stored. I thought they were stored in a museum and, and somewhere ducked away off in a secret place like this. Okay, the I've, Tower of London. I've All never right. been either, but I just know that because I'm a weird history person. Because you're the professor, of course. Um, so the Warren Cup. So the Warren Cup is a silver drinking cup that has two reliefs on it depicting uh, male homosexual acts. Whoa. Um, so this... The the Warren Cup, um, it features um, these these two. Stop men. calling me Warren. My name's not fucking Warren. And it depicts um, these usually an older man and a, and a younger man, um, sort of um, having um, gay sex. Um, on one side, it has this uh, young man sort of lowering himself by straps onto this older man um, to to have anal by sex. Straps. Oh man, they were kinky as fuck. Get yeah. on it. He's really? like, you can, <laughs> you can see in the picture I posted. It also has a pretty extensive Wikipedia page. Um, I'm looking at the picture you posted. Yeah, he's he's sort of like, like sort of like holding on with his hands to these straps that are hanging from the ceiling and sort of lowering uh, himself. Uh, what, am, uh, what I'm more concerned about is who is this in the door peeping in on him? That's you know, the Roman Catholic. Church. That's what they like. They paid extra for is that. that. The, oh, that's the that's the priest who's behind the door. Yeah. That's gotcha. ki- they're in a confessional. They're in the no, oh, okay. no, Steve. They're in the rectory. I get it. Hey. The um, rectory. I and then the uh, what, what's referred to as side B is that he has the, <laughs> the older gentleman has a the younger lover on his sort of lap, and he's he's sort of like cradling him. I need to take a look at side B here. Oh wow! So let me ask you this, okay? Is the Warren Cup? 
at the time, probably less today. I mean, this is kind of tame for today. But is the Warren Cup more provocative because it was homosexual or more just overall just because it, it was incredibly obscene. it is it is yeah. incredibly like provocative it, take, it takes it takes something that's like probably just like wow that's a little bit as, out there but men we'll, want to see it as and we'll turns get it to, into like Steve, hot lava this this cup is so provocative it's illegal in the united states at this point in time well, that's because the United States was founded by goddamn Puritans. You mean in 2019? No, it's not illegal? 2019, but at, at, at this oh. period of time in the 19th century. Oh. And, and even after that, because the Warren Cup is in the early 20th century. Yeah, I like. would argue that the Warren Cup is not at all salacious to anybody that was alive at the time that this cup was, was, was made. Yeah, that's what I would argue. Yeah, definitely. That's my argument. Because that is kinda... completely normal. Whether it's like, hey, this dude and this other dude are getting kinky and they're getting down and freaky. And everybody's just going to be like, okay. It's nowadays, or not nowadays, but, you know, in whenever this time period that we're speaking about now is that people are flipping out. Well, the thing... Because they're just so repressed, you know? The thing about Roman sexuality is that the Romans didn't really have a concept of, of homosexual and heterosexual. That's more of a modern invention. And it was just like, fucking. <laughs> and, and what it was, was essentially that it was a view of power. And though that, like, a bottom would be looked down upon because they're on the receiving end... For you to sort of give, like to be the um, to be the top, that if you were what if you were a power yeah, bottom, what about a power bottom? I was well, going to say you would be you would be respected. <laughs> they would right a power bottom. You got to deliver that thrust. I'm talking about you. Really got to back up on it. I heard that the British uh, courts allowed any material that had a like a strong power bottom. It just came right through. <laughs> they just left it out in the open. They're like, wait, you got rid of the Warren Cup, but you left this out. This guy is literally <laughs> delivering a hammer stroke, and they're just like, look at the energy in that man. I mean, it's something to look up to. He is a significant power bottom. <laughs> Would the prosecutor confirm that the person in the depiction is quote unquote working it? <laughs> court finds he not is guilty. a serious example of a power bottom. But was he throwing it back hard enough? Oh, skeet skeet. <sighs> so to give you to give you a history of this cup and sort of it, it's sort of very ridiculous history. This this cup was originally purchased by a man named Edward Perry Warren, who was an openly homosexual poet. Um, he's what's referred to from this period as a Uranian. Um, a Uranian where, poet. Where did he buy this cup from? If I might ask, he like, did he, he bought it in Rome. Earth it. So, like, was it, like, an archaeological find, and they let he, this guy buy it? He bought it from a dealer in Rome for 2,000 pounds, because during this period, uh, up until the mid-20th century, um, you can just go to sort of archaeological sites, and you can just hand the guide, like, a wad of money, and he'll just let you take whatever you want. Holy shit. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's really shitty, but that's awesome. So, Ed- Edward Perry Warren, he-, he normally wrote under a pen name, obviously, because, you know, sodomy is illegal in most Western countries during this time period, under the name Arthur Leon Rail. And in this day, in Alabama. Um, and probably a couple other states. <laughs> so, in 1911, Warren purchased this cup in Rome from a dealer for 2,000 pounds. Um, the dealer... Um, the dealer believed that the cup had been buried by its owner around the time of the Jewish revolt um, due to accompanying coins. Um, the theory is that the cup was buried 
because during the Jewish revolt, you know, the uh, the the Jewish inhabitants of Palestine were uprising against the Roman government, and this Roman citizen um, decided to sort of bury their belongings and flee because they couldn't bring them with them, or they didn't want to bring them to get robbed of them. Okay. Um, in 1921, it's featured in a book of erotic artwork uh, from ancient artifacts by a guy named Gaston Vorberg, who's, who's sort of um, a, a historian of the subject. In, Homosexual in, cops? Oh, of just sort of like erotic artwork in the ancient period because regardless if it's homosexual or not in 1921 any pictures of people having sex is is scandalous yeah yeah absolutely it's just gay <laughs> i know and, right like they freak out yeah and, I, I realize yeah, it's sex and, and, but but it's and, not and what's normal. funny is they, well what's funny is they freak out and yet yes they're doing it too like that's uh, so yep, yep. Warren is is a sort of um, as being a gay man himself, he's sort of a proponent. You know that this is all like normal and sort of being against like homosexuality is is the aberration. It's not homosexuality that's the aberration. It's sort of this puritanical notions that that homosexuality is wrong. That is wrong. That is absolutely correct because as Jesus said, "Love thy neighbor, not love thy neighbor, but." Um, and and I, I'll, I'll agree with Warren there. I'm not That's really that familiar with his works, but I'm kind of suspicious of him because the Iranian poets were very big on sort of this like older man, younger like man form of love. Early Nambla mm-hmm. members. So I don't know if it goes that far, but it just makes me very like uneasy about that aspect of it. Isn't that kind of what the Warren Cup is depicting? Or is, is it pederasty or is it... I don't know if it's pederasty in that regard, because um, regardless, it's a display of power, and we don't know the age of the people taking part in it. the The person that is, you know, the younger person in this depiction, right, uh, appears be to be older. It appears to be, witch. you know, a teenaged person. Right. And you, and you have to remember during this period as well that you're most likely getting married in your early teens. So there are differences in ideas about that. Um, so in 1928, um, Warren includes the cup in a book he makes called A Defense of Uranian Love, which is sort of this book that defends you know, homosexuality throughout history. Um, in 1928 as well, Warren dies, and the cup goes to his secretary and sort of business partner named Asa Thomas, and he puts the cup up for auction in 1929, but it fails to sell. No one wants to buy this cup because, you know, it, because of the nature of what's depicted in it. In 1952, um, Harold W. Parsons, who's one of Warren's past companions and an art historian, um, attempted to sell the cup to a New York collector named Walter Baker. Um, but Baker is hesitant about this because the cup sort of is, is a little too scandalous um, for the time period, even in the 1950s. Right. So in February of 1950, Parsons mails this cup to Baker, but it's impounded by U.S. Customs, and they deem it pornographic after review. Um, so they essentially have to send the cup to Washington for them to decide if it's pornographic or not. Uh, because it's determined to be pornographic, it's refused entry to the United States. Um, it's held and eventually not mailed back to the U.K. until October of 1954. Um, wow. By that point, 
Thomas Damn. has died, and his wife is able to sell it to a collector named John K. Hewitt. Where was John K. Hewitt from? He's in the UK. Because remember, the, this cup can't leave the UK because the depictions on this cup are considered too scandalous and too risque to like actually leave the country. Right. And you can't even see anything. Like, not well, for nothing. It's like trying to watch porn at like 480p. It's like well, watching. It's, and, trying watch. it's well, like trying and, to. It's like trying to watch the uh, the sex scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Well, inside A, you do see <laughs> penetration. Uh, yeah, C is being very generous with the term. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of vague. It's but re- regardless, like I, said, if, like I said, this is like trying to catch a nipple on Showtime when the when the things all. But more out. to Steve's point, that's how bad people were. That yeah, just the suggestion of it is. Gentlemen, bad. we we have to remember we're we're only thirty years off from people masturbating to the JC Penney's catalog. So that's right. Wait. People don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> only, only the real kinky freaks do that. Well, you know, they don't, the there's this, not this as many pages I, in there. It's really down to. Say, listen, it's almost down. It's almost down to just the women's casual wear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm about to switch to Lane Bryant if uh, Jason. <laughs> Lane Bryant. <laughs> Is this what the boycott comes down? Yeah. <laughs> well, because Sears they went out of business, so I stopped getting the Sears catalog and Victoria's Secret models. They're just. Meh. So J.C. Penny and I'm about to switch to Lane Bryant if J.C. Penny doesn't start stepping their game up, you know. So <laughs> back to back to uh, John K. Hewitt. Um, <laughs> oh Hewitt, my god. Hewitt gets this cup, and he offers the cup to the keeper of Greek and Roman um, items at the British Museum. So this is the guy that's in charge of that department. Um, his name is Dennis Haynes, and he, he sort of approaches him and says, you know, I have this cup. Um, I'd like to um, sell it to the, the British Museum if you're interested. I'm going to do that with just a random fucking mug out of my cabinet. <laughs> so so Haynes goes to um, a friend of his who's on the board of trustees named Ward Crawford. Um, Lord Crawford. So all the, Crawford. the board of trustees Lord are essentially Crawford. the people who run the museum. Um, and so Haynes and Lord Crawford, um, they decide in the end not to ask the Board of Trustees because the head of the Board of Trustees is the Archbishop of Canterbury at this time. So they know that the Archbishop of Canterbury is not going to allow them to to include this cup of like gay men having sex in 1954, you know, Great Britain. Yeah, they're going to be like, uh, no, but come around the back door later and I'll let you in. You get it? That was a joke. Come around the back door. <laughs> if you give me a pence, uh, you can look at the cup from behind the cut. <laughs> oh in, uh, in, nothing has changed. Literally nothing has changed in fucking 100 goddamn So what if this anyway. was the Holy Grail? Well, well. First, Steve, I'll let you know that if you look at this cup, it is too nice looking to be the cup of a carpenter. Second, look, Steve, <laughs> I know I chose poorly. All right. I'm just saying, how much would it blow every evangelical Christian's mind if they're like, so this this cup that has <laughs> two reliefs of dudes just getting it on? That's the Holy Grail. <laughs> That's so the cup of I'll, I'll remind the you that we live. drank out of had dudes getting sweaty. Is all I'm saying. Ryan, we we live in a post-truth world, so regardless of what you say or what you show them, they're still just gonna be like, "Nah, it's just this way." 
No, that's how it is. Long-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, you know, he was down oh. there. Well, maybe the, took the, a, the cup I underneath. Took the cup well, underneath. I down at my grandmother's house. She had a picture of a blonde-haired, or not the blonde-haired, uh, the brown-haired Jesus, like the brown, long-haired, pert-plus Jesus. Right. <laughs> and I was the white skin, and I was like, Jesus was definitely a brown guy. That's, like, he should I mean, kind of put it down. So she, I don't think she noticed. Yeah. That's like that one picture of the one person whose like, grandmother who didn't speak English, and she had a picture up. I, I think she was Hispanic, and she had a picture up of Jesus, but it was actually Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi from like Revenge of the died. Sith. I would have fucking died laughing. Oh my god, that would kill me. It's not, <laughs> it's not inaccurate, you know? Um, so... The, the cup sort of stays with Hewitt in, in the 50s, and then eventually in 66, he's able to sell it to a private collector for 6,000 pounds. In 1966? Yes. In 1998, um, the, the cup had sort of been shown around at different sort of art museums and, and around the world in different places like that. In 1998, it had been at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the UK, and it was sold to a private collector in the UK during that time. In 1999, the British Museum acquired the cup to keep it in the UK for 1.8 million pounds. Jesus. It is the most expensive single item that has been acquired by the museum. To this day? To this day. Damn. Um, So... And it's... And it's... And it's two... It's four dudes, two couples. Fuck it. That's awesome. I love that. That's fantastic. I love and that. They, that's, fantastic. A real, that's a gigantic fuck you to any kind of like homophobic person. They could have gotten it for yeah, a museum, steal. <laughs> like, yeah, this museum spent millions on this, these guys fucking. How's that feel? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, and, and to sort of change gears from a, a museum that's about um, sort of the obscenity that no longer exists, though these wings still do exist as sort of a curiosity and just sort of as, as wings dedicated to, you know, to, to pre-modern erotica. Um, in Australia, at the National Museum of, of Australia, they have a collection called the Restricted Aboriginal Objects Collection. Really? Okay. And this is largely a collection of Aboriginal and Islander um, remains in secret and sacred and private materials. So these are the remains of aboriginals that were sort of collected throughout the the several centuries that you know um, Europeans have been colonizing Australia and also sort of records of, of sort of sacred and secret materials um, and, and sort of um, rituals and things like that that are not supposed to be recorded that were recorded. And this museum, does this museum still exist today? Or yes. These, or and so this, this part of the museum is newer because these items are restricted due to their nature. Um, so the idea is that they have these materials, they're holding on to them, and they're not letting people see them because they don't want to destroy them, but they want to make sure they get back to sort of the original owners, be they the, the aboriginal um, tribes or, or clans that own them originally, or the family members of, say, the remains. So they're afraid that just looking at these things will cause them to get destroyed? Well, no, the, the idea is, is that because the aboriginal peoples and the islanders um, don't want you to, to know about these things. You know, these are, these are sort of either um, it, within their culture, it's disrespectful, you know, to look upon the dead remains of these people, you know, because these are things taken from, you know, during the period where they were stuffing, like, actual people and putting them in museums. 
Wait. Say what? Stuffing people? Yeah, like, like sort of like primitive, what they dubbed as primitive peoples, like, like aboriginals or, or certain peoples like that, you know, just putting them on display. They stuffed people? Yeah, they, they stuffed. They didn't just make fucking mannequins? They stuffed people? Yeah, and, and sort of the, the pre-modern period. I see an episode in the future. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and, and part of the reason why the, the original people who were sort of doing, like, this genocide and collected these materials was to preserve the culture and remains of these people because they knew they would be sort of wiped out sooner. They believed they would be. So they stuffed people, but with good intentions. They, they collected their remains, you know, to keep to, like, show off, you know, sort of preserving them to be shown, um, things like that. Um, I, with good intention. I don't know if it was incredibly common to, like, show off sort of the, the preserved remains of these people, um, but they would show sort of these, like, non-preserved remains of people. Like, Do you know how mad I would be if my family had me stuffed and was like, as you can see, this person from the mid-2000s was a lazy slob. This is what it looks like. <laughs> he didn't even what it, He didn't even have a podcast. <laughs> didn't even have a podcast. <laughs> He had a he had a paltry twenty listeners to his podcast. Um, so this this collection comprises about sixteen hundred objects. Um, Why did you get twenty listeners? Oh, I'm just going by the Facebook. <laughs> They're out there, Steve. They're out there. I have no idea if the people that like our Facebook It's like secondhand smoke. You don't know who's listening to the speakers. This band is going to make it, Steve, and then you'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, so this this collection comprises about 1,600 objects, and the end goal is them to re- be repatriated to their rightful owners, like I said, the, the ancestors or, or sort of groups that they belong to. Um, and also, to some of these items, once they get permission, um, they can be shown um, to people. What, what kind of permission? Like, do I need my mom to sign a permission slip or? Well, just it, the, sort of the same thing happens with Native American items in the United States where, you know, museums will, will sort of ask permission, you know, from a tribe saying like, oh, can we can we show this item from your culture okay, or, or do okay, you want okay. it back? Is essentially okay, the dear, dear okay. British Museum, my young boy, Ryan, may look at the butt swing. <laughs> On well, the, the thing about the British Museum is is a lot of the stuff that's in the British Museum were essentially stolen at gunpoint. I was going to say a lot of the stuff. That a lot the of stuff in most in museums. museums and stuff is not theirs. Like but the, they straight up jacked it from people. But the things too, like the things that were taken from Egypt and stuff like that. Like the British Museum has a large Egyptology section, and. And those and some other ones, like, they won't give them back. And the logic they use of, like, why they won't give these items back to the country is that they originate because from... Because they're shitty people. Because... That's why they're shitty... <laughs> well, they say, like, it's in order to protect them. The fuck? Protect what? The objects or the people? The objects. Because, like... It's not theirs! But I think because, uh... They, they can protect them, but they don't. They can't guarantee that they'll be safe if they repatriate. Because, like, if, for instance, in Egypt, after the it doesn't matter. It's not their object. It's like true. You're taking a TV that's from what, your house and be like, "Look, man, I'm only going to use it if I give it back to you. I can't promise you're going to use it, so I'm going to keep it here and I'm going to use just, it." Just like, just to be devil's advocate, <laughs> um, like after 
sort of the the protests that have been going on in Cairo over the last decade, you know, sort of as government shift. Um, during one of the larger ones, the the Egyptian Museum in Cairo was essentially ransacked, and and same things happen, you know, in in, in Iraq and places like that, you know, as as the wars happen. Um, these these museums they get raided and then they eventually end up in the possession of people like the Hobby Lobby people. But, so then it's okay for the people who looted and plundered these countries to keep. I I, don't I oh, personally look, hey, uh, the, don't the agree with that. But that's is their that's their belief is that these these people have it now. They feel that they are respectful to the cultures and they are, you know, able to, to take care of these items and show them to the world so they feel that they they can still hold on to them. Well, listen, they absolutely should be like, hey, listen, guys, do you mind? Can we display your objects in a in a significant way with respect? OK, so Instead there's a whole... like, hey, we took your shit, by the way. We're going to show it off. We're not going to give it back because we're afraid something's going to happen. But we'll, but we'll show it off. Does that make sense? There's I a would... whole thing with that actually there's a whole thing i'm trying to get a word in here there's a whole thing with that where like a number of the objects in uh most major museums are in kind of like a, a limbo status they're like rental status they're I being like they're either museums. they're either in rental or many of them are actually in court like they're they're in proceedings yeah. or like you know yeah. trying to get them we're back we're talking about this one yeah, but I mean the dick bowl. You know, I don't know whose ancestors. Who can prove that it's theirs? <laughs> well, yeah, no. Well, I'm saying if we can, if we can prove it. Well, that's. I yeah. feel like the museum would do better to say, "Hey, can we show this?" Instead of being like, "Hey, we took this from you hundreds of years ago. We're, we're going to do it anyway." I I would say that's probably one of the reasons why they still have these 1600 items is because it's difficult to prove, you know, who they actually belong to. So that's that's why that collection still exists. Instead of them just you know dumping yeah. it at, at whatever um, Aboriginal um, group that they feel it belongs to. Right. Yeah. Um, so a uh, next one that's a little different is the CIA museum. Um, oh man, this will be good. The CIA one. Yeah, the CIA. Like Langley. The CIA, CIA museum. Yes, was established in 2002 in Langley, Virginia. Um, it's at the George Bush Center for Intelligence, and because of that. It is not accessible to the public. I love that. That's an ironic name. For I love that name. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's an what a bad name. It's H W. It's H W, not W. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, so okay. George H W. Bush was smart. Because yeah. H W, you have to remember, he was the head of the CIA for a period. Yep. Yep. Um, in the seventies, right? Yeah, in the seventies. Uh, um, it does not. Um, it does not. It. It is not open to the public, but it does expi- exhibitions in conjunction with presidential libraries. Um, so it will, it will send out sort of exhibits and things to these libraries to show off. Um, I, one thing that I think is funny is that the NSA also has a museum, which was established in 1993, which is the, the National Cryptologic Museum. But the, the National Cryptologic Museum is open to the public. Hey, look it. We're going to put on display how much shit we've been spying on you with. The National Cryptologic Museum is also funny because if you look at their um, sort of picture on Google Maps, um, you can see like the the picture of their like their sign at the entrance. And it's like a it's like a very like mom and pop museum sign. <laughs> like the outside the outside sign. 
Couldn't get enough funding, huh? Hidden in plain That's sight. That's what it is. It's hidden in plain sight. That's unfortunate. NSA. No Not stealing attached. anything. No. Nobody, <laughs> nobody stole anything. I thought it was no strings attached fun, but that, I think... That, uh, too. It's, it, it's many things. I've been hanging out on Craigslist too long. So, the, the NSA oh. Museum, there, there's only two actual official museums of sort of American spycraft. The NSA Museum covers sort of like cryptologic, um, sort of this um, sort of in digital or, or sort of signals intelligence, whereas the CIA Museum covers human intelligence. So it covers the, the history of of American intelligence gathering from the OSS, which was the um, sort of precursor to the CIA during World War II, um, to today. It's the world's largest collection of spy gear, and it also has, um, is, to give you an idea of what it has in it, it has items from bin Laden's compound in the collection. What? Like, do we know specifically if we haven't it, been there? Like, do you know specifically what? It, it says a couple things, like... Uh, Bing Laden's AK-47 is there, and and just a couple like personal items and things that were taken. Oh man, that's cool. And and to bring us to the one that's sort of more um, prevalent than these sort of secret museums are, are sort of the the library portion, the books and documents. Okay. The oldest of these, which is probably the most talked about, and I would argue it's probably one of the probably least salacious of the archives until like more recently is the the vatican secret archives um which which technically it's also the vatican's private archive because it's the private uh, archive of the pope and and sort of the concept of of a of a library a public library even at that is very modern um until largely the 20th century most libraries or what are called subscription libraries, where you yeah. pay to sort of get a library card. Really? Yes, there, there were I a few before then, the like the Philadelphia Free Library, places like that. But, but the majority at that time, until Carnegie starts his big library building initiative, were mainly subscription libraries. Ah, I didn't know that was a thing. I, thought, I always thought libraries were free. Okay. Um, so, the... Uh, by the way, visit and donate to your local library. Uh, beginning, they do more than just provide books. Beginning from like the founding of the Catholic Church, um, the the Pope or the Bishop of Rome, depending on what your religious persuasion was, um, had been sort of collecting their materials. Um, so uh, originally, these materials were stored at the the Lateran Palace, which is the residence of the Pope. Mm. In the eleventh century, um, the archives of the church were sort of delegated to three separate sites, which were the Lateran Palace, St. Peter's Basilica, and the Palatine Palace. St. Peter's Basilica is beautiful, by the way, if you guys haven't been there. It is amazing to stand inside there and just kind of look around. Yeah, I'll I'll get over, eventually. (laughs) Once I finish my Duolingo Italian. Dude, listen, they all speak English. Oh, I, I know. I know, but it's, you know. There's a McDonald's. I swear to God, there's a McDonald's like two blocks from He Vatican. wants it's He amazing. wants to go there and get the Sopranos experience. I do. Jesus yeah. as, as for the gravy. Yeah. I just want I just want to walk around with a cup of coffee and a package package of Newports and just and just say, uh, uh, what the fuck did Paulie say? 
<laughs> what the hell did he say? I can't remember. It was so fun. Commendatory. Commendatory. Hey, commendatory. Because he heard the waiter say. Commendatory. Fucking cocksucker. Commendatory. Cocksucker. Best character in the show. Easy. Paulie's the greatest. All right. Um, so throughout the centuries, the the Papal archives have grown and shrunk, uh, mainly due to due to a number of things. You know, war, natural disaster. Um, every time the Pope traveled for diplomatic purposes, um, he would take sections of the archives, and because he would take them, they would be damaged usually or lost in transit. Um, As generally happens, if anybody who's ever moved before in, can tell you. In 1404, um, the Vatican is sacked under Pope Innocent VII. Um, when the Vatican is sacked, you know, um, like documents are destroyed, you know, they're, they're alleged to be like thrown in the streets. Um, his successor, Gregory the the Twelfth, um, allegedly sold off a large number of archival materials in 1406 to sort of pay off papal debts. Um, so, so not only are things being destroyed through war and other things like that, popes are also selling off sections of the archives um, to pay off the the Catholic Church's debts. In, in 1612, Pope Paul V orders the creation of a central archive. Um, so 1612 is the first time that there's sort of the central papal archive. In 1791, um, Napoleon seizes all papal holdings in France. Um, so throughout the years, there's different popes. You know, there's there's also what's called antipopes. An antipope is sort of um, usually what happens... If they touch a pope, they'll blow up? He, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Generally, what happens is that these leaders who are who are pretty powerful to the point where they can sort of stand up to the Catholic Church, they'll decide that they don't like the Pope, and they'll sort of pick their own Pope, and they'll say that this guy is the real Pope, and the Pope in the Vatican is not the real Pope. Um, so, so the anti-Pope is the Pope who's the quote-unquote real Pope. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a pretender um, to being the Pope, um, and, and sort does, of like does he wear like all black instead of all white? There is a such thing as as a um, the the dark pope or the black pope. Well, yeah, that's that that's just like weird France. prophecy cons- conspiracy theory wank. You know, he's not he doesn't look like the guy from like Ghost. Okay, uh, okay, okay. He's not like Ryan, in skull makeup looks, or like a black looks, like pope outfit. <laughs> no, he kind of looks like thought. the guy from Ghost. He does. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's the black no, there is a re- there's a religious order in the Jesuits, and, and there's a black there's a position in them that's called the Black Pope, and I've I've heard of it before. In in 1798, um, Napoleon goes one further, and he invades um, Italy, and in invading Italy, he also invades the Vatican. Um, he captures the Vatican archives and he moves them to France, and they are not returned until 1817. Um, if you're not familiar with Napoleon, um, when he is crowned um, emperor, um, he forces the Pope to crown him emperor. So it wasn't a legitimate crowning. It was a bitch. I'm the ruler. Well, crown me and tell everybody it, that that I'm that I'm the man. The story is that like when he was crowned emperor by the Pope, as the Pope was going to place the crown on his head. I don't know if this is like anti-Napoleon, like propaganda from the day, but he like grabbed the crown from the Pope's hand and put it on his head. Sounds like some stuff that a man who's like five nine would do. 
Well, that whole height <laughs> thing is bullshit, but it's like... He, no, he was like seriously like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but that is a normal size for that time. Yeah, exactly. It was just anti-Napoleon exactly. propaganda. The, the thing about Napoleon's height... Oh, I see is, what you're saying. Is, okay. ...is had to deal with um, sort of because Napoleon had introduced the metric system, which people weren't familiar with, and Napoleon was around like... I guess it would be under two meters if he's under six feet tall. So yeah. So when people heard that, in, in the UK, they're still using feet, and, and they're primarily using the main method they use now, which is, like, their weird, like, stones and, like, hands <laughs> method of measurement. Dirty stone. So so when they say that he's, like, one point whatever meters, they're like, oh, he must be tiny. Like, like what the fuck does that mean, like, one whatever meters? Yeah, no, but he was actually completely average. Like I said, if I'm if I'm remembering history class yeah. correctly, that he was like five eight or five nine. But at the time, that was a completely normal size. The whole Napoleon's a manlet. It was just a huge propaganda anti-Napoleon propaganda campaign. Um, and and throughout these moves from sort of the Vatican to Paris and then back to um, the Vatican, um, these like items are lost. Items are damaged. Um, things like that happen. So the archives are further damaged. In, in 1855, materials from the archives are first transcribed and published by the archivist Augustine um, Thenier. Thenier was like one of the first people to do this, and gradually over time, they would release more materials that had been transcribed and published. Um, these included, for instance, like uh, papers relating to the trial of Galileo. Um, In 1870, after the unification of Italy, um, this ends the papal states. Um, When Italy is unified, um, the the papacy is not really, like, doesn't know what's going to happen because the rebels who sort of form Italy are not really that keen on the the papacy controlling as much territory as it does. And because during this period, the the papacy is worried about, you know... um, worried about their materials and things being taken, um, they forbid access to the archives. Um, And and eventually, over time, though, um, researchers are gradually allowed back in. Um, There's a lot of fears, you know, that that, Protestants are going to go in there and they're going to dig up something and it's going to make the the Catholic Church look bad. In 1879, Pope Leo XIII appoints Joseph uh, Hergenrother as the head archivist of the archives. So this is the first time that they have like a head archivist. You know, someone whose entire job is to sort of manage and maintain these archives. Um, and on January 1st, 1881, they open a reading room. Um, and, and this was done despite the worries that I mentioned earlier, you know, that Protestants would be using this as a way to defame the Catholic Church. Because um, like I said too, um, previously, you remember there was that case, you know, where that guy's making a pamphlet talking about how evil and terrible the Catholic Church is. Mm-hmm. So there's an active propaganda campaign against the Catholic Church in this period. In 1884, um, Leo XIII actually believes that historians gaining access to the archives will be beneficial and aid the Catholic Church. And and his, a quote from him is, Go to the sources. That is why I have opened the archives to you. We are not afraid of people publishing documents out of them. Um, so his logic is essentially like we have nothing to be afraid of. You know, if people are able to go into church documents, um, there won't be all this like crazy conspiracy theory stuff about the church. 
Which is 100% correct. If you would just open shit up and say, hey, here's everything we got, it would do a lot to allay 99.9% of conspiracy theories about the church. Um, in 1979, um, this historian named Carlo Ginsberg, um, he wrote a letter to Pope John Paul II asking that the archives be opened. Um, and then since then, a gradual process has been carried out. It, it, it's, it, it's been attributed to Ginsburg that the, the archives have been gradually opening because of him. And, and also, too, um, there were some other things that led to it, which I'll get to in, in the next section. Okay. Um, so it, the contents of the archives, the oldest document is claimed to be from the 8th century. Um, so despite people thinking, you know, that there's all kinds of things in there dating back to the founding of the Catholic Church, um, the oldest document is from the 8th century. Yeah, but we're okay. talking about the secret archive, which is just the honeypot for everybody to walk into and sweeten on. Not the That's secret, super secret Vatican archives, <laughs> which have the original the Bible. real Vatican secret And the original shit, Bible like the... actually has the recipe for Cool Ranch Doritos. Not the, not the, not the double <laughs> secret archives. Double <laughs> secret mega plus archives which has, tournament edition. It's also, it's also the same place that Coca-Cola hides it. Yes, formula. I was going to say it has the, has the Coke formula, <laughs> no. the Cool Ranch Doritos. The secret to five-hour energy. You could be a millionaire mm. overnight if um, the secret to five-hour energy. It, but I heard I'll they were. I heard you. they tried to get the secret to vitamin water, but it turns out it was just Kool-Aid. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kool-Aid with salt added in. It's a little, little salt. A little salt. <laughs> though, Holy e- fuck. even even though the oldest document is from the eighth century, documents from before the thirteenth century are considered to be lacking. Um, for a lot of the reasons I stated before, you know, popes are just selling off documents. Um, I imagine they're not really keeping that great of records as well. Hey, um, Steve, complete aside, what is the oldest known document we have? Um, probably a, a cuneiform tablet from, like, Mesopotamia. It wouldn't be, like, the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, because, like, when a lot of people talk about recorded history, and they say 10,000 years, that goes back to, like, pre pre-Christian, pre-Judaic times. Yeah. Okay. The Dead Dead Sea Scrolls are around the time of... um, I think they're from the Hellenic period. I could be wrong. But they're not not that old. They're they're old enough that you have a pretty complete, like, collection of the books that are included in the Old Testament. But they're not, like... They're not, like, ancient, ancient. Okay. Um... So there, there are 53 miles of shelving in the Vatican archives, and there are around 35,000 volumes in the selective catalog. What is that comparatively to another, like, let's say, the Library of Congress? Um, 53 miles, because um, you have to, you have to consider as well that this is. I, I don't exactly know what their measure is. Are they including like each individual shelf? So like, do you have a rack of five shelves? Are you counting each individual shelf, or are you just counting the the row of shelves? I don't know. So that's. <laughs> I mean, if they're trying to, if they're touting to be the largest library and giving you shelving size, I think like it's that, measured in length, 30, I guarantee you, thirty-five. They got to be counting. Thirty-five thousand volumes is not a lot. 
Yeah, but yeah, I think Steve, counting each shelf and adding it all together. It's 35,000 secret fucking volumes, bro. <laughs> I imagine you had 35,000 Easter eggs to post on, like, uh, GameSages.com well, back in the day. Imagine if you had 35,000 copies of the Wu-Tang secret album. How yeah. many copies of Secret Blood, Secret Grail do they have? Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. How many? I tell you a story about that book. I read that book during a period of my life where I was just really interested in that stuff. Like, I don't believe any. I'm naturally skeptic, well, but I was very interested in it. And I didn't know that it had been disproven. So I got it off Amazon and I read the book. And I was going to my brother and I was like, "This shit's crazy." <laughs> And then I found out, like, maybe, like, a month or two after reading it, that it was, like, a complete farce. Yeah, it was It was a complete scam to essentially, yep. like, yeah. build we some, like, do, we, should do an episode, we should do an episode about that, because it is very interesting how the whole thing went down. But I've never actually read it, so, I mean, I, I'm down. It's definitely worth reading, because it's very interesting. And then, after you read it, you immediately go to the lore about it, so that you know how scammy it is. But it's, is it a long read? Is it's it not long? long. No, it's, it's three, like what, four hundred pages. pages. Yeah, yeah, you could do it. Oh, you could yeah, do it in like listen, a week and a half. Yeah, we could do an episode on that. I'll um, read it. I yeah, love that book, dude. My copy's all like my copy's all like folded and heavy, everything. heavily dog-eared, and it is. In dude. The I, I was really into it. I was like, you know, because my whole thing is, I'm, I might as well have been in Missouri because you got to fucking show me. Let me. <laughs> Let me write this down. What's the name of it again? Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Holy Blood, Holy Grail. I gotta read that. We'll it's what Dan. It's what basically Blood, what Dan Brown's based off of. Yeah, it, it's really? it's that whole like yeah. the Holy Grail was the actually the, the Christ Child. Yep. Uh, okay, so he, okay, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic nah, nah. book, but it's absolutely like bullshit. I said. I, I I watched the Da Vinci Code. There's, and I the museum there's tons of documentaries on YouTube um, about it where you can watch the author talk to. And it's just so sad to see him defend it, and you're just like, you find out later that it's just like, he spent all this time. Ugh. Oh, it's so bad. Anyway. Um, so to gain access to the archives, it's generally open to qualified scholars, which are, which are people who are from an academic institution or have academic credentials and are able to get a letter of reference from an academic institution, which is right, not uncommon. Right, you had to have academia, right? What? You had to have some kind of academia. Yeah, it's it's not like they're not just letting anybody in there. Like you have to have some credentials, which is not uncommon. Um, a lot of sort of archives like this, and this is generally the sort of the older model, is that you have to have a letter of reference to sort of get access to items that are not in circulation. Right. Um, materials from 1939 um, are not available for viewing. Um, because of the Catholic Church's alleged roles in um, sort of World War II and, and sort of their complicity in, in the Holocaust and things like that, um, so those those items are not available. Is and, that true? Yes, and personal materials from cardinals from 1922 onwards are not available for much the same reason, as well as sort of all of the sex scandals that are going on. Um, sort of, you know, cardinals and priests, you know, having relations. Um, and not only um, things that are often talked about, you know, like like being pedophiles or having homosexual relations, but also them having, you know, like heterosexual mistresses. <laughs> wow. Because a lot of it, it's pretty much an open secret that a lot of Catholic priests and a lot of like high ranking people in the Catholic Church, you know, that they still have, despite their vow of celibacy, still have like mistresses and things like that. 
yeah, that's the yeah. They're called altar boys. And and two, like <laughs> not not to say that you know that the Catholic Church was integral um, to the carrying out of the Holocaust, but many members of the Catholic Church, like cardinals, were involved in Odessa, sort of the the, the Nazi yeah. sort of sort of rat um, rat lines yeah, that led yeah. them out of like Germany um, into South America and elsewhere. Um, there were a lot of people within the Catholic Church that were supportive of the fascists. Um, generally, generally, though, the policy from the Catholic Church is very similar to what the United States government's policy is, and a lot of governments is that um, sort of documents don't ask, don't tell. Documents become available after <laughs> 75 years. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, so anything okay. that's older than 75 years policy. is generally available. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell is a policy. Um, and in... And, and it's been said that in March 2020, um, Pope Pius Twelfth, who was the Pope during World War II, that his materials will be made available um, to the public. So next year, Pope Pius's um, oh. portions of the archive will be made available. Can't wait. It, can we expect anything special to come of that or no? <laughs> is it, is it going to be Al Capone's fault or is it going to be, you know... Something good. Yeah, is it going to be yeah, Geraldo Geraldo just shows up. Vault, or is it going to be uh, actual Folks, there's shit? nothing in this area. Uh, it appears the uh, all the documents were removed at an earlier date. He, there's some dust. He strikes me though as someone <laughs> who would Al come Capone's out dust. as as a Fox News wonk. He he strikes me as someone who'd be one of those like pro like arch Catholic conservatives who's just like there's nothing to see here, people. It's it's just a complete you know. Geraldo's just a. We're gonna see. We're gonna dollar. see how That's much it. Pope Pius saved the Jews, and then he just doesn't say anything after that. I mean, I don't want to even <laughs> speculate on it too much, but I think we're all pretty much in agreement that likely what we're gonna find out is that they not only didn't do anything to help anyone, they probably actively consorted. Oh, oh, oh! Definitely on the first part, because you yeah. have to remember is that. Your Vegas odds are not great well, on that. Your Vegas odds are like one to one. Well, the thing, on well, the thing about like fascist Italy is that while the fa- while the fascists tried to sort of like co-op the Catholic Church, Mussolini was not married to the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church was aware of that. You know, it wasn't Spain, so the Pope was essentially at the mercy of Mussolini. So he just went along with whatever Mussolini was doing and didn't rock the boat. So I think it's mostly just going to be that the Catholic Church just stood by and watched as this all happened, while selective cardinals and priests like aided in the Holocaust. But beyond, oh, but beyond that, I don't think like I don't think there's going to be any like smoking guns of like Pope Pius being like for the Holocaust or anything like that. The third, he yeah, was like he was like a member of the SS or something. <laughs> honorary, honorary, <laughs> honorary, Aaron, Pope like Pius honorary twelve. <laughs> oh my and, god! Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it would be a concerted effort by the Catholic Church, but I'm sure that there are definitely some cardinals and bishops that had absolutely some Nazi friends that were like, "Yeah, let me let me hook you up with where these Jews are." So what we're going to do is we're going to get rid of the Jews. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I have some Jewish friends. <laughs> Oh, I have this. I had some Jewish friends. Start with Lenny. He has a deli. (laughs) It was very rude to me. (laughs) Oh, my Um, God. (laughs) How come all of our Jewish people sound German? (laughs) Because they're German. Why did our our, uh, listens go go down immediately? (laughs) Um, in, In 2010, because of Dan Brown's Angels and Demons... 
the Catholic Church actually increased access to the archives because those those books are having the salacious like sort of view of the archives and sort of the Catholic Church the Catholic Church sort of opened themselves up to let people come in and see so that people weren't you know spreading like what was in the books you know seeing what was real and what wasn't Right. Exactly. So they kind of being like, "Hey, this is what we got." So that guy that was on, uh, what was it? Uh, after night in the mid, late night in the Midlands. That guy that sounds like a bowling alley, like ball changer. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. I was gonna say, no, no. you know, it's like, what was that guy's name? No, late night in the Midlands is a good is a good show. I take it back. Well, you know, you have Father Malachi. Uh, Malachi Martin. Yeah, yeah. Malachi Martin. Um, he was the like. He's like that crazy end of like Catholic priests. Like Dude, even though the I, stuff weren't in there, he'd probably be like, "Oh yeah, it's in there." I uh, I love Malachi Martin uh, for his entertainment value, just like Ryan likes uh, Alex Jones. Uh, hey, fuck off! Because uh, <laughs> because the thing, but you don't like like what he says. You just he's entertaining, and that Malachi yeah, yeah, Martin yeah, is very. Okay. I, 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 he's never I like how over the top until he, he got into the whole uh, thing with the shooters at at the the one school what the fuck is it um, Sandy Hook Sandy Hook yeah until he got into that he was just fucking funny and, th- and then he got bad but he was entertaining for a long time Malachi Martin is the same thing because I remember being like I'm pretty sure I was like 12 or 13 Steve and I think I've told you the story before where like I actually listened live to Malachi Martin on Art Bell at like you know Two in the morning, can't sleep. There you go. You want to talk about some entertaining Art Bell? Oh, go ahead. it was so good because he's the guy who popularized Malachi Martin. Art Bell's the shit. Yeah, but okay. He was. He was a terrible person, but <laughs> we should do an Art Bell per- episode. He's dead now. He the can't biography see us. of Art Bell. Him and like Bill Mitchell and some of the other like. I still, I still contend that if you have fifty-three miles of books, that either you're hiding something in plain sight or there's a place somewhere else that's holding i mean we already know there is because there's a place that holds the 1939 archives right yep. well no so it, there's it's, that it's, the 1939 archives are there it's on a different place you just can't you like just can't you check them out the way the way i mean like the way it works at places like that and the library of congress works the same way is that you you can't just go in and take most of the collection what you do is you go to the librarian and you say I want this. And then they'll go into the collection, they'll grab it, and they'll bring it back to you. Ah, okay. That's that's what a reading yeah, I mean, room what if you don't? But I mean, what if you don't have a specific thing you're looking for? You're just saying, hey, I want to go browse. I want to, like, walk around and you, you have to be You have to be more specific than that. You can't just, like, be like, I want everything you have on this subject. No, 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 but I'm saying if you said, hey, look, I want to walk around. I just want to browse everything you've got. They, Nothing in particular. I just want to see shit. Everything. They won't let you do that. That's dumb. You can't, <laughs> That's you can't dumb. do that for most special collections. Like, if, like, a lot of universities will have a special collections, and you can't just, like, go in there and just, like, be like, yeah, I just want to look and see what you have. Like, they're like, no, what if you you're need like, to... What if you're Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Well, what if you like? I want to see Doctor Declaration of Independence. Well, first you would you would confuse them because you're just like got your hands <laughs> positioned over your head, and you're like, "All right, where do we go?" <laughs> I'm the Rocket Man. I was gonna watch um, National Treasure too for this episode. Such a good, it's, it's such a time. good movie. Such a good movie. I didn't have time. I didn't have time. So, like I said, I just watched. Uh, 
which call it Steve, Da Vinci Code and not at the museum. Steve just loves it because he's always standing for the Freemasons. I am. I am. He's like, I am. The Freemasons my are like, brother's a Mason. The cool. They're, yeah, like the Freemasons are cool. Because they're the good yeah. guys in the movie. Because at the end, the one guy that Look, was like helping. There have been bad Freemasons, but they're not, like in general, it's just a fucking frat, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Overall, it's just a want to hang out. It, it's, it's a lot like Skull and Bones and stuff like that. Because the reason why those organizations exist is because fraternities didn't exist until like around the late nineteenth, twenty, like early twentieth century. Like they didn't exist, so those are sort of like those very early like collegiate or professional clubs. Yeah, my my brother doesn't even go anymore because, and I'm sure he wouldn't ma- uh, mind if I said it, but basically, because essentially uh, most free, uh, most Masonic groups in smaller cities since the you know they're kind of an outmoded organization it's basically just a, a pancake breakfast machine yeah so it's like uh how many pancake breakfasts uh breakfasts can you have uh you know in a single fucking month and that's literally all they do whereas you know there's no philosophy talk there's no like you know good stuff going on and so he was just one, fucking done with this one thing i didn't know that i learned today is that uh harry truman was a 33rd degree Freemason, which is the highest degree of Freemason you can become. He was, really? a, if you're a 33 degree, it, it's weird. My brother's a 30, um, he, my brother's 33 degree. He's, uh, you're going to get your brother killed talking he's about a, him like this. Nah, <laughs> it's fine. He's a master Mason, but he's not 33 degree, 33rd degree is, I, my brother's not 33rd, because 33rd is, 33rd is, no, 33rd Scottish right, I think. Uh, he must be. He must be. A, somebody told me that three sixty was the highest degree. That you no, could. no, no. That's the most you can do if you're a, a noob, uh, bitch on ten eighty snowboarding. Yeah, or uh, or or how okay. much you can no scope. Three sixty. That's the extent of a three sixty. Because I played ten eighty snowboarding and three sixty was the best I could do. Okay. As far as I can go. Okay, there's no such thing. Five forty doesn't exist. No, I pulled out the 1080 snowboarding, and I was like, there's no such thing as 1080. It's impossible. Uh, yeah, 33rd degree Mason, I think, is Scottish right. So I, my, I don't think my brother is Scottish right. I don't know, though. I don't fucking know. It's so weird. He can never tell all I know is he had you. All I know is he had, like, books in the room that were written in code. And I, like, picked it up one day, and I was reading it, and I was like, I'm not reading anything because I don't know what this fucking means. <laughs> I would be afraid if I picked up a book and it was all code. I'd be like, nope, I didn't see that. That's, that's, when, the, that's when the red dot appears on your your chest. I, exactly. No, I didn't see anything. Put that Nothing shit down. Um, so, to, so go back to our discussion of these sort You're of secret find libraries. find out about the pancake breakfasts. And, and not the uh, the secrets of the pancake breast, uh, breakfast hold. <laughs> the secrets of the Hilton Breakfast Continental. <laughs> Which are in the Vatican Secret Archives for 1939. That's why we can't get them. In the, in the National Library of France, the, uh, the Bibliothèque Nationale, there's what is called as the, uh, the, the Enfer, which is short for the, the Inferno. It was established at the end of the 17th century and it's sort of this collection of um, what is considered sort of uh, scandalous uh, works. Um, prior to that, um, the Royal Library it was already subdivided into what were referred to as good and bad books. Really? So, so essentially books that were acceptable and books that were not acceptable for society. And who made that determination? Um, probably, probably some sort of... Um, 
servant of the king, um, whoever was managing gotcha. the library, um, probably also the Catholic Church. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, which which we'll get to that when we talk about a tradition that happens in Germany. Um, in 1702, a library classific- classification system was introduced um, that grouped books together by type, and this is when you start seeing like books on certain subjects sort of grouped together. Um, and at this time, they would have a catalog where they would list all the books, like what they were. Um, it's not as advanced as sort of like the Library of Congress system or a Dewey Decimal system, but it's just sort of this first instances of like an index being subdivided into different areas. Um, okay. By the mid 18th century, so the 1700s, there there are about 24 scandalous works in this collection, and by the French Revolution, there are fewer than 50. One of these, Damn. one of these is um, it, most of these are sort of erotic fiction, and one of them is Pietro Aretino's um, prostitute dialogue called uh, Reggio uh, Namenti. It's a pair of. I thought you were going to say Red Shoe Diaries, but okay. Which is which is kind of these are kind of like the Renaissance version of the Red Shoe Diaries, um, because it's a pair of Renaissance dialogues. Um, so it's, essentially, it's dialogues uh, from like prostitutes. Um, this one is the dialogue of of Nana and Antonia under a fig tree in Rome from 1534, um, in which two women discuss life options open to Nana's daughter, Pippa, to become a nun, a wife, or a whore. Wow. Th- that's the only three options you get, bitch. Pick one. And, and then there's it's another like, one. It's like Ireland in the early 1900s. There's a... Oi! There's a, <laughs> it is. Like, how many stories have you heard about that? Like, I, the Irish, way too, way too the Irish side of my family has stories about that, where the woman escaped. They basically broke her out of a nunnery. Like, all kinds of shit. Oh, yeah. yeah I, have a, I have an aunt who was a nun. Yeah, on the Irish side. Um, in the follow-up, there, there's a follow-up dialogue in which Nana teaches her daughter um, Pippa the relations between prostitutes and their clients. Um, so, so essentially, her like teaching her like how a prostitute deals with a John. Wow. Um, uh, okay. These these works are kept in a special case, and access is restricted. Um, in 1795, Napoleon seizes aristocratic libraries. And so he begins, like, sort of consolidating these aristocratic libraries into the National Library. And then, it, and within the library, they begin establishing what's called the uh, the Reserve, which is the rare book collection. Um, and, and Napoleon, though, contrary to what people might believe about the French Revolution, um, the, the revolters in the French Revolution were not very progressive. Um, Napoleon, under his reign, no, increases the, censorship, the and books are destroyed. Um, and, and an anecdote that gets given too is that, like, if you were aristocratic in France, you could do whatever you wanted to, which meant that if you were gay, you could be openly gay, and you wouldn't like no one would do anything to you because you were an aristocrat. Yeah, that is widely incorrect. And then, um, and also too, that like if you were trans, like if you were a man and wanted to be a woman, you could dress up as a woman. And, and sort of like not be like put in jail as an aristocrat. Yeah, grossly incorrect. Wait, you mean that's incorrect? 
No, no, no. I'm saying they, if that was a thought, like, oh. wouldn't they actually jail you for being trans? Well, if you and being ho- openly homosexual, they would absolutely jail you. If you were an aristocrat, they wouldn't, because you're you're really you're a okay. person of you're a person of means. You know, you're an aristocrat, so you're above the law. See, now I thought that they didn't care. Even if you were an aristocrat, if you yeah, they displayed don't, they open don't homosexuality, care. they would say no. You were going to jail. They 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 don't they they don't care that you are one. Um, they like they don't enforce the law for you, and okay. that's okay. that's that okay. was one of the bones that the the sort of um, the Jacobins and the other like revolutionaries picked with the aristocrats was like when they talk about the aristocrats being degenerate. That's sort of what they're talking about is that they were openly like homosexual or, or trans or things like that, and because of that, um, they they felt that they were you know like these these degenerates because they went against what the the common um, sort of um, feelings of society were that day. Yeah. Um, in eighteen um, thirty six to eighteen forty four is the beginnings of what's like essentially the modern um, end fair. Antifada? No, Enfair. Oh, okay. Okay. Jesus. Joseph... I was going to say, wow, this episode took a real hard turn, but okay. Joseph Joseph Naudet, who was one of the the heads of the collection, um, he he described the works in there as extremely reprehensible from a book collector's view, but sometimes highly valuable and of great resale value. This hell is for the pamphlets what the Naples Museum is for ancient art. What? So they essentially view it as the same way as the collection we talked about earlier, that this is equivalent of, of sort of their collection of, of ancient pornography. Mm-hmm. Where they say, hey, look, we got it. It's just, it's only viewable to the people that we deem okay to look at it. So the, the Enfer was generally restricted to erotic literature that was believed to be damaging to moral character. Um, in the 20th century... Um, the Enfair begins to grow because they're acquiring works um, from just, like, sellers. Um, There's no way that they can have stuff that is as damaging to moral character as we have nowadays. I mean... Well, you have to remember, like, Lady Chatterley's Lover was considered to be, like, like hardcore pornography for the day. Can you imagine if Goatsy existed back then? Like, monocles would be popping and women would be painting <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> Goatsy or Tub Girl or Blue Waffle, like if you could just show that to somebody that lived back then. In 1969, um, the classification is closed. Like they're not adding um, new works to this classification. Um, in 1977, um, the Enfire is no longer restricted, so like anyone can go view it. And in 1983, um, the classification is reopened as a general mark for erotic works. Um, so they open up this classification, and it just means generally that if it's found in there, it's generally an erotic work. Is it still open to the public? Yes, it's still open. Today. It's still open to the public today. And in 2016, um, there were about um, 2,600 volumes that range from the 16th century to today. Nice, nice. And in the the British Library. Um, you have what's called the private case. Well, it, originally this was established in the 1850s at the British Museum, um, but in 1973 it was transferred to the British Library. 
And it was very similar in regards to the end fair that it was mostly, you know, erotic fiction, um, things that were found disagreeable. Um, and in 1990, it becomes a static closed collection. And by it be being a closed collection doesn't mean that people can't view it. It's sort of treated the same way as like a special collection. Um, because today, there are about 250 volumes in the closed collection. Um, at its height, they were around 4,000 volumes. Holy shit. Um, only two are currently not allowed to be um, sort of examined by the public because they're in like a very bad condition. Um, that you can't access them because, you know, you might destroy them just by touching them because they're that old. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, pretty much, like, all all of them except for those two are available to registered users of the library. That's pretty cool. Um, at the Oxford Library, um, that which is called the, uh, the Bodellian Library, they have what's called the Phi Collection. Um, it was established, like, the Greek letter Phi. It was established okay. in 1882. Um, it has about 3,000 works that range from scientific, scholarly, and literary works. Um, and just to give you an idea of what's included in there, um, an, an illustrated volume of the love books of Ovid. Um, these were restricted due to um, was restricted due to um, Ovid's like erotic poems. Um, and then later on, they were restricted due to the illustrations that were included. Um, <laughs> what do you know? What kind of, or do we know what kind of illustrations were included? It, they were just. Um, I, I, I'm not. Or like, were they similar to the Warren Cup? I, I, I kind of probably. I, I don't know if they were homosexual or heterosexual, but it was just sort of like openly discussing sex in that manner was unacceptable for Victorian culture. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, because this is now, this is where we're getting to the point where it's like ankles are salacious. For, for instance, like the portrait of Dorian Gray is included in this collection. Um, and oh. because of the, the homoerotic subtext and like Oscar Wilde being, um, being a homosexual, um, it, it was included. Um, there's the signed first edition of Lady Chatterley's Lover. Um, this copy was smuggled into Britain in a diplomatic bag because it actually couldn't be printed in Great Britain. Um, it had to be printed, um, I believe it was printed first in the United States, and it had to be smuggled into Britain. Because laws forbid even printing yeah. it? Yeah. Um, press clippings related to restrictions of certain medical texts, which were subsequently reclassified and placed on open shelves in the 1930s. So essentially, like probably like what we would learn in like health classes like like when they they teach us about sex like that type of so yeah. originally boys have a penis girls have a vagina kind yeah of thing. this is a picture Just this is kindergarten a picture cop. of the female reproductive system we're going to restrict this because it's too uh it's too edgy um sex manuals such as the joy of sex were included Yo, my dad had that. I read that. Well, I didn't read it cover to cover, but I remember seeing oh, that. Oh, yeah. My, sex, and I remember my parents had a couple, copy like, of that. Passages. Yeah, I my dad had it. It was like, not what a is bad this book. Shit? It, was just, it was just outdated. Yeah. Um, some humorous works. Um, the brand new Monty Python book was included um, because it had a naked butt on the cover. And also, uh, the Nirvana CZ, uh, Nirvana CD, Nevermind, would absolutely be included with the little baby 
dick hanging off on the cover. And the uh, and a pop up version of the Kama Sutra was also included. Ah, a pop up um, version? That's awesome. That's awesome. Books about phallic symbolism. Do they sell that at that like pop like card website that I always get spammed on Instagram? <laughs> I saw one for the Nightmare Before Christmas pop up card, and it actually looked kind of cool. I bought a couple of them. They're pretty cool, but um, they are not the Kama Sutra. Some of these, like the pop up book, I think they're just included in the collection. Like you could see them, but you'd have to ask. I don't think they're that restricted. And these these modern works, which are like Madonna's book, um, Sex. Um, and then also the the drawings of Tom of Finland. Are, are you guys okay. familiar with Tom of Finland? I I've heard the, the name. Uh, imagine nope. like Freddie Mercury being like jacked, like like having like being extremely muscular in a weather daddy outfit with like a huge like like erection and like tight leather pants. So we get so erect. Magnum PI. Yeah. Tom Tom Selleck, Weather Daddy, Jack Diesel, Giant Penis. Tom Selleck jacked who's a leather daddy. Oh my god. I'm turned on. And also the first modern European work of pornography, the Satira Sotatica, which was written in Latin in the seventeenth century. Um, and it, it's sort of like the first work of, uh, of uh, pornography that used Rome as a model um, for sexual license and frankness. Interesting. Um, and then now it's only 250 volumes. And like I said, that if you um, if, if you're a member, you can you can see these um, you can see these books. Uh, you just have to ask permission due to the nature of the contents. Okay. The pop-up Kama Sutra, by the way, is available on Amazon. <laughs> For thirteen ninety-nine is what I'm guessing. So uh, eight ninety-two. Well, eight ninety-two. Very yeah, that's that's pretty affordable. The next one in this sort of discussion is the Library of Congress's version, which is the Delta Collection. Ooh. Um, the, no one's really sure when the Delta Collection started. It was sort of an informal collection that was started in the 1880s. <laughs> a separate piece. I don't like the, the illusions they're casting here. There's some to, there's some need to get this out. subtext here. <laughs> Gene and Finney. I don't know what they're getting up to. Throw um, in the it, Delta. But it was established in the 1880s, and it would be restricted until 1964. Um, a lot of the materials that are in this collection were items that were seized by the Customs Bureau and the Postal Service, um, and also through the Copyright Office because they were um, they were considered to be too obscene um, for general publication, and that once they were collected, they were essentially sent to the Library of Congress to decide if they should be kept. <laughs> I'm looking at the Delta Collection online, and there's a title, Recently Added Items, Whipping Club, an account of some of the activities of a number of of lovely women who have men in their power. <laughs> Piss Drinkers Monthly. <laughs> Piss Drinkers. Don't listen, don't dox our president's magazine. 30 years of Piss Drinkers. And a lot of this happened due to what are called the Comstock Laws. So in the 1800s, there was this guy named Anthony Comstock. Comstock was a U.S. postal inspector, and he was the secretary of the, U- of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. Um, okay. 
So he he found the society in 1873, which is sort of seeking to like stamp out what he viewed as like pornographic works, things that were unacceptable for society. And on March 3rd of 1873, um, Section 211 of the Federal Criminal Code is added, and I will read it to you because it is it is quite the thing. And, and this is such like a broad and over like overarching law that has existed from 1873 and is still technically on the books. Oh, so really, so read it to so, us and then give well, us the one thing. The, yeah, the, I'll, I'll give you the, the gist the of like obscenity and like how that's judged after I read it. But every obscene, lewd, or lascivious, uh, lascivious, uh, Lasc- lascivious. Lascivious? Yeah, it's... It, I don't know how you say that. Lascivious? It's lascivious. Yeah. Lascivious. Lascivious. I, I'm sorry, every obscene, lewd, or lascivious, and every... Lascivious. 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 Yeah, because... We will not move on until you say lascivious. I'll go, I'll go home, like, uh, when I when I record this, or when... I'm sorry, when I record this, when I edit it, I'll just, like, overwrite you in, like, a really loud tone. So every time you say it, it'll be like every loud and then lascivious behavior <laughs> like that. So, lascivious. Go ahead. And every filthy book. No, let's say lascivious. Mother. Lascivious. <laughs> there we go. We got it. There we go. Every obscene, looter, lascivious, and every filthy book, pamphlet, picture, paper, letter, writing, print, or other publication of an indecent character and every article or thing designed, adapted, or intended for preventing conception or producing abortion or for any indecent or immoral use, and every article, instrument, substance, drug, medicine, or thing which is advertised or described in a manner calculated to lead another to use or apply it for preventing conception or producing abortion, or for indecent or immoral purposes, and every written or printed card, letter, circular, book, pamphlet, advertisement, or notice of any kind, giving information directly or indirectly, where or how or of whom, or by what means any of the herein before mentioned matters, articles, or things may be obtained or made, or where or by whom any act or operation of any kind for the procuring or producing of abortion will be done or performed, or how or by what means conception may be prevented or abortion may be produced, whether sealed or unsealed, and every letter, packet, or package, or other mail matter containing any filthy, vile, or indecent thing, device, or substance, and every paper, writing, advertisement, or representation that any article, instrument, substance, drug, medicine, or thing may or can be used or applied for preventing conception or producing abortion, or for any indecent or immoral purpose, and every description calculated to induce or incite a person to so use or apply any such article, instrument, substance, drug, medicine, or thing is hereby declared to be a non-mailable batter and shall not be conveyed in the mails or delivered from any post office or by any letter carrier. Whoever shall knowingly deposit or cause to be deposited for mailing or delivery anything declared by the section to be non-mailable or shall knowingly take or cause the same to be taken 
from the males for the purpose of circulating or deposing the thereof is or this, of is aiding this real? in the circulation or disposition thereof shall be fined not more than $5,000 or imprisoned not more than five years or both. I w- what the fuck? This is also $5,000 in 1873. Yeah, which is like... So you talk about like a million dollars. A billion. <laughs> um, so I want you to break that down in, in to four sentences for me. So would the Warren Cup be shippable? Is, it, can I well, do that? you'll remember... <laughs> They, they tried to ship the Warren Cup to the United States. I mean, States. I already I shipped the Warren Cup. I definitely do. But I can I ship it, you know? But they, they mailed it, and then the, the customs said this can't come into the country because it's indecent. So then why uh-huh. did customs let the dirty panties from England into the country for me? I mean, we can get past this. We don't... Um... So the thing about this is that all this law is still on the books as far as I know, but most of the the elements involving contraception have been reversed um, due to due to laws and, and sort of um, sort of court cases since 1873. And and part of the thing about this too is that obscenity and indecency within the United States is held on the level of the locality in which it happens, which is one of the main reasons why most pornography is filmed in certain areas. Okay. Um, the main reason, for instance, that pornography is filmed within the San Fernando Valley is that there were um, court cases in that area, in that district, um, in which um, pornography was found not to violate um, statutes involving decency. Um, so they, they can continue to make it there because um, the level of decency allowance there allows for them to film pornography. Um, which is why you can film it there, but you couldn't, for instance, you know, film it in like Salt Lake City, Utah. Interesting, right? Uh, and it also goes back sort of too, because it's a common law system. Um, laws are sort of determined um, at the state level. This mainly deals with things that are sent through the mail, um, sort of postal items and items that are brought from outside the United States into the United States. Um, so most decency laws um, are done at the state level. Um, but this Comstock Act um, in- involves, you know, sort of the post office and these other bodies sort of confiscating items, and then these items are sent to the Library of Congress for them to determine what should be done with them. Mm, okay. So wow. the, the Delta Collection ultimately served to protect materials from mutilation and then preserve the historic record and protect citizens from harmful obscenity and serve as a repository of sample materials for consultation by federal agencies. And it's uh, all sex, by the way. Like, you look through the first, like, 15, and then you get into the first 30, and then you get into the first 45, and it's literally all sex books. Every so fucking single fucking. one. If you're, it's all If fucking. you're a registered member of the Library of Congress, you can view the materials in the collection, but there is no official co- uh, catalog. There is a unofficial catalog, which I believe is what Steve is referring to. Yeah. Which is the Delta Collection. Omega. Net, and then Omega is like Omega, but with a G instead of a G, it's a K. Yeah. Omega. Okay. Um, and you can sort of search and see what's in there. Jesus. Um, and and again, um, in modern times, this is just more of a, a special collection, like. Uh, most of the things in the Library of Congress, though, um, you have to ask to see them. 
You can't just, you know, like, walk through the Library of Congress and just pull books off the shelf most of the time. Which is dumb, because that's my tax dollars paying for the library. That's right. You should go protest. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> um... I don't give a fuck enough about the Library so, of Congress to go protest for it. The last, the last sort of thing we'll talk about, which is something that exists in Germany, is called the Gift Schrank. I'm sorry, one more time? The uh, Gift Schrank. Gift Schrank. Schrank. Gift Schrank. Yeah, don't forget the R. So, so the, <laughs> gift, the Gift Schrank, in, in German it means poison cabinet. Yeah, not the gift shop. Fucking Germans with their damn names for things. And the this uh, is fucking Germans and their poison. Okay. This is a general term for the restricted <laughs> section of a library. Okay. So okay. this is like the dark arts collection, except instead of it being like black magic books, it's just you know like pornography usually. Um, but okay. but we'll get to what it mostly is today. Well, where the heck's Mad Eye Mooney? Um. <laughs> So the first gift shrunk was was established in the fifteen eighties. I like how he totally ignored you too. <laughs> it's so good. We we ain't talking about Mad Eye Moody. Okay. My brother, my brother. Shout out to my brother Matt. He he uh, he he listens to the podcast and he likes it a lot. What, Matt? And uh, <laughs> and uh, he says it's just hilarious every time I say some stupid shit and Steve just fucking keeps going. He just, he just well, blows right by it. Well, Matt, <laughs> Matt needs to work on doing your voice, because if something were to happen to you, we'll bring in Matt as your backup. You could just bring Matt in. <laughs> he, 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 he's your he's your twin, so yep. we, can, we can we can pull him off, you know. He can be and your Fidel sound, Castro he's body double. He, I'll tell you right now, he sounds exactly like me. If I put him on the mic, you wouldn't know. He's raspier, though. Oh, man. He, he has a little bit of a raspier thing going. Yeah, he smokes cigars, so. Um... So the first gift shrunk was established in 1580 by the king of Bavaria, and he did this to preserve what uh, what were considered by the Catholic Church to be heretical works. Um, so the Catholic Church told him, you know, like, these books in your collection, you know, they're heretical. Um, you should get rid of them. Or, or more, I should say, he found out that these works were heretical. And what he did was he included them in this, this section uh, that was sort of um, sort of set away so that people wouldn't see it, and he called it the poison cabinet, the gift shrunk, to to keep people away from it. Okay. So so it's essentially the the 16th century version of putting your pornography in a folder that's not labeled like pornography. <laughs> He's like, no, that's the poison cabinet. That's not my forbidden book area. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Um, so, as, as time goes on, in the 1800s, these collections are, are primarily holding uh, erotica, uh, mu- much like the other collections we talked about. Um, when, when the Nazis come to power in 1933, um, the Nazis don't really use the gift shrunk. They, they just sort of destroy books wholesale that they find questionable. No, they say this is the great like book. Burning. Yeah, they're they're just, just like any, yeah. any books involving like erotica or homosexuality, like they just destroy them. Um, and, and any books by communists or, or people they find politically disagreeable with, they just destroy them. Yeah. Um, okay. After the war, though, um, this this continues. And in West Germany, um, gift shrunks primarily held um, erotica and Nazi and fascist works. 
Um, because Germany, West Germany had a lot of strong laws, and, and Germany today has a lot of strong laws about sort of, um, uh, of Nazi imagery and Nazi works. And the idea is, is not that, like, people can't ever know about these things. It's that they shouldn't just be thrown out with no context. Yeah. That is the most reasonable interpretation of a secret library you've given. And the idea of the gift shank in modern times uh, is not that, um, you know, like, these, these Nazi books are, like, bad, which they are. The idea is that, like, you shouldn't just be able to pull these books off the shelf and read them because what's presented in them is not honest. Yeah, it's it, it, it doesn't have it's propaganda. It doesn't have context, and so without context, if you were to just pick this up, like you start reading this, and you're like, "Oh, maybe the Jews do control the media." <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's propaganda. There's like I remember reading. I have a Ford Mustang, and Henry Ford <laughs> wrote this book, and it's fantastic. So, oh wait, he didn't write the book, but he pushed it. There's and. And and Steve, you you are a librarian, right? So you do yes. You do have some authority on this subject, so you kind of you kind of know what you're talking about even more so than a regular episode that we do. And I was I, I was reading this book. It's called um, uh, White Snow, Black Wind. I, I might have got the the two mixed up, but it's a book on the rise of sort of like of modern fascism in Russia, sort of this like nationalistic neo-Nazi fascism. And there's this figure in it called Alexander Dugan, and Alexander Dugan is sort of like a modern-day Rasputin. He's like an old—he's like what's referred to as an old believer, who who are sort of these like ultra-orthodox Orthodox Christians. Like he has a long beard, he dresses like Rasputin, and and, and in his yeah. youth he did a lot of um, sort of magical rituals. He's very big into like esoteric things and and that sort of thing. And when he was a youth in the Soviet Union, he went to the library in Moscow, and he was able to pull off the works of the Italian philosopher um, Viola. And, and Viola is a um, he he's like sort of like he's like an arch fascist. Like yeah, he thought nuts. he thought the Nazis didn't go far enough. Like that was his level of like fascism. God. Damn. And, what? And he Fuck and because okay. of like because of some sort of error in the in the cataloging process or like people didn't exactly know what it was the works of viola were just on the shelf and and he and these other like these other like fascists and like the soviet union like told him about this and he like read these works and it helped like radicalize him and so the idea of the gift shrunk is not to prevent people from reading these things. It's to sort of give people these things within context, which is and to prevent radicalization. Which is sort of the idea too behind these like German laws involving like Nazism and, and Nazi-related things is not to say like to erase history. The idea is is to give you these things within context because if you just like pull up Mein Kampf without knowing anything about it, you know, you don't have a copy that has any sort of annotation and you're just reading these things like you could come out of it well for starters it's a terrible book so i doubt this would happen like it's very poorly written mind comp but it was boring as shit i was not impressed but let's say a better work that's anti-semitic and you read it and you're just like oh well maybe the jews do control the media or maybe you know the holocaust wasn't real like those types of things and and the idea is is that you have these documents 
but you give them to the user within a context. And that, that, that sounds a lot better than just saying, hey, here's my conf, read this, and, and take what you will from and, it. And interestingly enough, in East Germany, um, East Germany had a huge problem with fascism, um, which is one of the main reasons why um, Eastern Germany today is like a hotbed of like German neo-Nazism. Is because they didn't get the same education that they get in West Germany, because in West Germany there was a, a sort of national dialogue in the 70s. There was a lot of violence or a lot of street protests, um, sort, sort of like the Red Army faction, if you've heard of them, the Beta Meinhof gang. Um, I I have, and uh, it's funny because I the only reason I know about them is because of Rammstein. Uh, their music video for Deutschland had. Represented like they represented the Bertie Madoff gang in the video, and I just I learned about a lot of German history through that video. It's actually kind of funny, but well, the yeah, the thing about uh, and there's a bunch of women in it too. Yeah, right? Well, uh, she uh, Ulrika Meinhof is sort of sort of held off to be like a leader of the group that she wasn't actually, but because she was a woman and a member of the group, they sort of jumped on that to make it seem more salacious. Um, but, but essentially what happened is, is that these young kids were growing up in West Germany and they saw these like former members of the SS who were allowed to like sort of participate in society and be like wealthy industrialists and things like that, which one of the people they did kill was an industrialist who was the head of sort of the VFW for members of the SS. And there, there's sort of this national dialogue after that, that like we have to sort of deal with our history because it's not right, one, that these people are able to misrepresent history, and two, like, people want to know the truth, and if people don't know the truth, like, it has a destabilizing effect on society, you know, when people find it out and they decide, you know, that they should become, like, violent terrorists. Right. So, West Germany, and Germany today has, like, a really good education on the Holocaust, and West Germany did a lot of things um, to sort of do their best to make reparations and like make good on what they did not not to say that they that they should be forgiven but they felt you know that like we need to make right uh, after what we're responsible for in east germany that didn't happen because the east germans felt that they were um because they were all communists that they were victims of the nazis as well so the national narrative of east germany was that the Nazis were defeated, you know, they were the fascists, but we're the communists, so we were the good guys, we were the victims, like, everything's done. And as we talked about in the episode where we talked about the day the clown cried, um, the, the sort of the communist, like, documentaries and, and films about the Holocaust sort of painted as being, like, sort of against the communists and not really as a thing of anti-Semitism. Um, excellent throwback to a previous episode too like i i actually was thinking about that for a minute i was like did we didn't we cover that like didn't we talk about that but the uh but in east germany it's funny because they include a lot of the same but they also include periodicals from the west like for instance like fashion magazines would be included in the works that were in the gift shrunk in east germany because they 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 felt that any depictions of life in western europe or, or in the United States or elsewhere would sort of destabilize East Germany because things were pretty bad there and the the biggest issue that East Germany had was that people were leaving. Like the whole reason why they built the Berlin Wall and the wall around East Germany was because so many people were leaving. 
Um, so I think what we need to do is I think we need to have an episode specifically on Germany yeah. and East and I, West Germany because that would be a fucking. I, I think awesome. an episode on East Germany would be pretty good, but that would be an awesome episode because there's so much between like East and West that you can just. And then the whole, like, you know, the wall coming down and just how everything outside culture affected Germany as far as, like, oh, if you live in, you know, eastern Germany, you can't listen to this because it's from the West. Well, like, that's that's so insane Well, the me. thing is, too, about East Germany is that unless you were in – I think it was usually Dresden is referred to as the Valley of the Idiots. Um, is that – I'm sorry. Is it referred to, it's referred to as what? There, there was a term, there was sort of a nickname in East Germany, and it was for, they, that because of their closeness to Western Europe, they could get TV signals, but there was one area of East Germany that couldn't, so they referred to them as like the Valley of the Idiots, because they couldn't get <laughs> like, they couldn't get, they couldn't get Western TV. <laughs> And the East German government tried throughout the decades to, like, sort of stamp this out. Like, they wouldn't adopt, like, a PAL standard for a while because PAL was the European standard for TV. Um, mm-hmm. So they wouldn't move to color TV. It took them longer than usual and, and just things like that. And originally it used to be that if you listen to the radio from, from Western Europe or, or from a Western European source or watch TV from that area, you would be arrested. But... They, they sort of relaxed that because so many people were doing it, they would have had to arrest, like, most of the country. That's crazy. So wow. a lot of the gift shrunk in East Germany were just, like, publications from the West. Okay. And in, and in Germany today, the tradition continues, but it's mostly uh, works relating to the Nazis and fascists and for the reasons I stated before. Which makes sense, so. Yeah. Uh. Because, you know, too, it's also it's like people from other countries say, like, well, that's ridiculous, you know, like freedom of speech. But you have to remember, like, this is this is German culture. Like, this is what happened in Germany. Like, they're they're very much aware of like this happened in our country. Like our country went from a very liberal, like democratic society to like fascism. And like like they went zero to 60 in no time. So. So so zero sixty rules. Yeah, quick. so we're gonna we're gonna put some stops on that. Um, and we absolutely need to do an episode on the separation of East and West well, Germany because that's amazing. East, East Germany is also crazy too because like there was a lot of sort of like decadent things that went on there too. Like for instance, like like nudism is very popular in Germany and it was also popular in East Germany. It's just mm-hmm. it's just very like bizarre, like when you when you talk about a lot of these things, um, and a lot of the things that went on in these states because of their sort of repressive nature. Um, when, when you just sort of look at them, they almost seem like farcical, like something out of a work of fiction. Yeah, they're a total joke because of social progress. You know, when you just look at them through the eyes of progress. So, in in, in conclusion, you know. There were a lot of secret areas and, and libraries and museums, but but largely these were um, sort of to hide. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a goddamn book report conclusion. conclusion. You did not I read like the book. libraries. In conclusion, you'll find that a lot of they contain uh, many contrasts. And secret things. <laughs> I hope you had as much fun listening to this podcast 
as I had making it. <laughs> this is good God, that sounds like a goddamn report I've done in my life. It sounds like every delivered report in I've size done in my well font with I'm gonna like go ahead larger and, uh, margins. Spend the next three to four hours figuring out what the thesis statement was of this essay. <laughs> this is me writing a whole bunch of text in white ink so that it counts towards the uh, seven thousand word. Well, nailed uh, it. Pass well, the, the filter. Is- just, just to reiterate, you know, it, it's mostly that people, when they think of sort of like secret library or secret museum, they think of some like ancient aliens, like Bible code right. bullshit. Da Vinci code yeah. shit. Yeah, but right. in reality, it's mostly They're keeping just, the recipe to bone broth down there somewhere. Yeah, it, it's mostly erotica and also erasing like LGBTQ people from history. Yeah, it's basically the, the same thing. Is, like, it's not even. Go ahead. It's basically ahead. the same thing as nowadays when it comes to censorship it's primarily sex based as much violence as you can as you can get but if there's a single titty shut this fucking thing down <laughs> god forbid i see one millimeter of areola god damn it you can't say dick wolf on tv no you can't that's why they write it me? i don't you yeah that's why you have to say dun 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 dun, dun. <laughs> like literally dun dun means dick wolf. dick wolf dun 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 every time you hear dun dun like in between scenes dick dun, dun, wolf dun 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 dun, 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 dun. true I heard it from Dennis Franz <laughs> he was on a different show Steve we're talking on that yeah he was on NYPD Blue order, oh yeah. he knows he knows about obscenity <laughs> <laughs> my boy my boy so. Franz the Franzman Franzo yeah Dennis Franz took his cues Dennis from a lot of views on NYPD my favorite Blue. Dennis Franz reference is George Costanza fixing his hair according to the poster of Dennis Franz oh yeah in the Seinfeld alright it's speaking of so ahead. we're all done we're yeah all done. that's it We've, we've learned about museum secret wings, secret exhibitions, and the erotica that's really not that erotic. It's just a couple dudes having sex, which we're totally in favor of. Totally fine with it. Do what makes just you happy. Just be happy you live in a day when, when two consenting men can just, you know, buttfuck each other in the privacy of their own homes. Yep. Not like in these days where they're plastered on uh, the Warren Cup. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Bye, guys. Later, everybody.